You can take the financial advisor space and you can break it up into two types of advisors, right? It's a, it's a basically, I'm going to use non-technical terms. It's an advisor who gets paid a commission to sell products. Uh, different products pay different commissions. Some pay higher, some pay less. Uh, and so that, that right there is about, and I'm just going to make this number up, but nine out of 10, of, nine out of 10 advisors you meet or, or uh, get paid a commission uh, or have the ability to get paid a commission for their service. And then you have very, very few advisors that only charge a fee for their advice. And it's objective, not tied to a product. The people who use the advisor say, hey, I feel like it eliminates conflict of interest. And they, they do no commission investment business at all, right? And Y'all, I'm back. I'm back with another one. This one I'm doing uh, in a pretty unique way. So I have a um, friend of mine who is one of the best go-to finance people on the web. And we talk a lot offline trading ideas. She teaches me lots of stuff and I give her ideas on stuff. And, and, and I said, hey, look, and just for y'all, I'm going to say her name. It's the Terry Chantel, right? But um, Terry has a lot of a lot of good questions that breaks down topics. And so I was like, Terry, let's do a special episode where you ask me a bunch of financial planning and investment questions because your questions are amazing and awesome. And it gets at the root of ideas. And she said, definitely. So let's, let's give a big warm of applause for Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks anytime, anytime. I'm ready to 99 question you today. <laughs> cool, cool. So what's your, what's your first question? Okay, so my first question, um, I, so I will pretend I am the Terry that first met you. So I met Philip um, a few months ago through networking and we met up for coffee just to see if we could work together. So my first question is, Philip, what's the difference between you and the other financial advisors that knock on my door, send me emails, um, work for these big companies? Why should I go with you versus somebody else? Great question. So main reason is you can, you can take the financial advisor space and you can break it up into two types of advisors, right? It's a, it's a basically, I'm going to use non-technical terms. It's an advisor who gets paid a commission to sell products. Uh, different products pay different commissions. Some pay higher, some pay less. Uh, and so that that right there is about, and I'm just going to make this number up, but nine out of 10, of, nine out of 10 advisors you meet or, or uh, get paid a commission uh, or have the ability to get paid a commission for their service. And then you have very, very few advisors that only charge a fee for their advice. And it's objective, not tied to a product. The people who use the advisor say, hey, I feel like it eliminates conflict of interest. And they, they do no commission investment business at all, right? And so I'm the second advisor, which eliminates me from the majority of advisors that, that, that people meet. Um, and even, and, you know, side note, 
I tell everybody, even if you don't go with me, the first thing you need to do is find an advisor that is a fiduciary. That's, that's what the technical term of the advisor is called, that, that um, is fee only. Find a fiduciary and make sure that anybody you work with is a, is a fiduciary. So that, that's the first step is narrow it, narrow it down uh, to fiduciary only. Let me also give you one nuanced trick that some advisors will do. Some advisors can sell. Wait a minute, question though. Okay. Can you, can you further explain to me, so you say fee only fiduciary versus a regular advisor. So commission and fees, isn't the commission a fee? So what is exactly a fee only versus the commission? You know, what, what's the difference between an advisor that is a fiduciary versus one that takes commissions? Yep, so, so a commission would be similar to, like if you buy and sell a home, you pay the agent a commission based on the size of the home. If you, if you buy, there's mutual funds that you buy uh, or annuities or whatever, where they're gonna they're gonna pay you based on a sale of a product. That's basically a commission. A commission, the compensation is tied to the sale of a specific product. If they sell one pr product A, they might get paid different than if they sell product B. A fee only advisor is a, is a their fee is the same, like no matter what, and it, and it's gonna either be a dollar amount fee. So for example, it might be five thousand a year, uh, or it may be a percentage of assets, so one percent of the um, account they manage, but it's not tied to a product. It's tied to a service or an account size. Um, so basically, if for example, like a car salesman, if they want to, they will want to sell me a more expensive car because that would mean their commission is higher. So with a financial advisor that works that way, they probably they would get paid better if they sell me a certain product over another one, whereas how you operate, whether you sell me something for 10000 or 1000 you make the same amount. So it is in my best interest or to maybe work with someone like that because you're going to look at the products versus how much you're making off of the sale. I'm, I'm glad you explained it that way. Let me nuance it a bit more because I need to clear the one, one of the parts up. So, so let's, let's, let's give an example. Let's talk about like my my average fee for example so the way i build is one percent uh of the account balance so if the account is a ten thousand dollar account you know i'm paid about a hundred bucks a year on that account if the account is a hundred thousand dollar account i'm paid a thousand bucks a year so my fee is based on the size of the account not based on what's in it right so what's in it you know might be stocks etfs i got lots of options for what i manage in the account for my clients or advise them to put in their accounts for management. Um, but my, my, the, the bigger the account gets, the bigger my fee gets, which some clients say, well, Philip, that aligns you with me because I want my account to get bigger. Whatever I give you, I can choose to give you whatever I want to give you, but whatever I give you, the bigger it gets, you get paid more. So we're, we're aligned versus the commission-based person. You'll see a lot of people, like if you talk to a lot of folks with investments, you'll see a lot of people with like variable annuities, right? And pe people will go, well, why do you know why do, why is this person recommending annuities? Well, they they pay the most commission, you know, on average, right? If you look at, you know, uh, low cost mutual funds like ETFs, they pay no commission versus mutual funds versus variable annuities. Variable annuities pay the most commission, and so it's not a surprise that whenever I look at a fifty or sixty year old's portfolio, they have a lot of variable annuities in them because they pay the most. Right, so that, 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 that gives the difference between 
uh, those to the commission. So it's the percentage on top of, so the ingredients that you put inside the portfolio for a commission-based person, not only are they getting paid an overall fee, but then the ingredients, whatever they're putting inside the pot, depending on what they put in the pot, they may make more or less. Is that kind of? Right, right, yeah, and you hit on, and you hit on something that, that's even, I think is more dirty because some, you know, some advisors would get paid a fee and they get paid a commission on what they put put in there. Uh, they make pay like a fee to 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 charge. They might charge a fee for your financial plan and then sell you a product um, um, to put in your portfolio that they get paid a commission on, which is like super super dirty in my opinion. But hey, you know, I'm trying to wow. judge anybody, trying to judge anybody. But 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 yeah, the difference is like for like you you want to know as the client and this is what i hear they're like philip there's so many things i can invest in and i'm going to an advisor to basically boil down what i should invest in should i invest in stocks should i invest in etfs should i invest in mutual funds should i invest in variable annuities i you know i don't know because i don't have the experience and what the the, the clients that like fiduciaries are saying well no matter what i pay that fee is not um that fee is has no financial impact to the advisor on which account they go meaning their fee is the same no matter what they advise me to put my money into which gives me the ability, ability to feel good because i know that they're going to like just give me objective advice versus the advisor who gets paid different amounts based on different products that that might make somebody nervous because they're like i don't i don't know how to know i don't i don't know how to know what they're telling me if it's good for me versus them because Right, right. And then it may be, I could imagine it may be a little, after so long, I mean, we're all entrepreneurs and we're business people. It's even probably hard for the advisor to make sure they're checking themselves that I'm doing what's best for the client versus getting my commissions up. Kind of the way human nature works a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the big things I say is the commission, I was a commission-based person and now all commission, they're not bad people or I wasn't a bad person, but you would, and, and I would do everything I can to, with the knowledge that I have, put my clients in a position that I think that um, I would do if I were in their situation, but you also got to understand that they, you know, um, people have mortgages and they got financial pressure and, you know, you um, you you might be led to do something that, you know, right. you might convince yourself that something is good uh, based on the pay in the moment, right? And another thing is, you you know, for years, I didn't, for years, there was no incentive for me to learn about uh, ETFs or exchange traded funds, which are like low cost mutual funds, because they don't pay a commission. So I'm like, why would I learn about them if I couldn't be paid to sell them? And now as a, as a, as a, fee, as a fee only fiduciary, that's all I use. You know, and it wasn't that I was intentionally saying, you know, ETFs are bad when I was selling commission. It just I I wasn't paid. I didn't get paid to sell it, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna research anything that I don't get paid to sell. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. So, so we got that squared away. So I understand. Okay, fee only. You you one percent whatever you put in the pot, you just get paid basically a, a, a set amount. There's really no advantage of you picking and choosing what goes in the pot versus the commission person. So next I would ask, okay, so let's say I'm settled. I want a fiduciary advisor. Now, obviously, since I'm not choosing you based on how you charge, 
I would be choosing you based on my perception of your expertise to know what to put in that pot, what to put inside my portfolio. So how do I know if I line up the fiduciary advisors, okay, you know the best combination of things to put in my pot. So when it's done cooking, I'm a millionaire. So how, how do you know how to, what questions should I ask or what bullet points should I go off of? Or, you know, if I had to interview, say, three fiduciary advisors, I wouldn't even know what to ask to be able to measure um, how to compare them. So how would you suggest going about doing that? Yeah, that's a good, good, good question too. So once you got a fiduciary and you're with three of them, the first thing I'll say is trust, trust your gut first. Um, and I'm going to explain beyond gut, but trust your gut first because our gut is really, really smart. Sometimes it picks up on things that we can't articulate at the moment. And so if your gut, tells you to watch out, you know, then I would, I would watch out. So that's the first thing. Second thing is find, make sure the person is somebody who you like genuinely like, because if you pick an advisor and they do what they say they're going to do, this is somebody that you're probably going to be working for, for the rest of your life. And so you got to like, like them, you know, you have to genuinely enjoy the person if you're going to follow their advice. And then, and then third thing is make sure the advice that they're given is long-term advice. Anybody who's promising you some short-term stuff or promising you to make you money rich quick or you feel like they are overdoing it, that's typically a sign of not a good advisor, right? A good advisor is somebody who's gonna undersell uh, their services. They're gonna focus more on the, the financial planning versus returns because you, as an advisor, you can't control the returns. And a financial advisor, in my opinion, that you're talking to should, should only be selling on what they can deliver on. So I can't, I can't deliver you a certain return over a period of time. I mean, I can, I can build a financial plan based on a conservative return assumption that will help you reach your goal and then build a, port, a portfolio of investments or a mix of investments that have a high likelihood of helping you reach the goal but I, I can't promise you a certain return. So I'm not going to sell myself based on that. So if you find somebody who's selling themselves on return, which nobody can guarantee or deliver, and even if they could, there's no way for you to vet that in advance, I would move past that person as well. Um, then once you get beyond that, you, you, you want to really work with somebody that, um, that, that uh, you know, when you're talking to them, they they have they have proven that they've studied um, stock market history, right? And they may you know they may talk when you when you go down that path, it may some stuff may go over your head a bit. Right. But you want but you want to know that hey, this person understands market cycles. This person understands the difference between a small cap stock versus a large cap when stock. Person, I don't even know those words to ask. I would really need to know some practical things. Some, pra right? some practical things to I ask. Would, let's say I have it. So should I? So, so no. So here, here's a good question. Myself first to be able to ask. Them no, yeah, because you never, you're never going to do that. But but here's a good question to ask. Right. Here's a good question to ask that'll sum it all up. You ask him, what is your investment philosophy, and then you ask how do you pick which investments 
your client should own. And then just listen to them talk. And this goes back to where I talked about gut. It's just, you know, you, you know how even if you don't know what they're talking about, you know somebody who's BSing you and somebody who's not. Right, right. You know, so, so asking those two questions and then just listen. And if they sound like they know what they're talking about. Uh, so I would, so based on what you said, ask them what their investing philosophy is and maybe just take notes and follow along and maybe do your own research once you finish that meeting to kind of see what they said. And a combination of listen to your gut. Do they sound like they're BSing or does it sound like they really knew what they were talking about. Which if you're interviewing someone like Philip, he's going to go on a 15 minute dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One more thing, and, 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 here, and here's what I, and I'm, I'm glad you said that, because here's my deal. I, I try to over communicate, right? Because right. I, know, I know that I know what I'm talking about, and I want to get to a point to where I've communicated clearly to the person what I'm trying to explain to them. And so if they can't communicate clearly, that's a sign they don't know what they're talking about. Or if they make you feel dumb for asking the question, that's not an advisor you want to do. You want an advisor who's going to patiently like answer every question and over-communicate because then it's going to let you feel comfortable asking questions and learning. And then it's going to help you know that, hey, this person actually knows what they're talking about. And, and as far as research, so if you want to go research, the best book that I would use as a litmus test, that's not my book, against an advisor is called Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth, written by Nick Murray. If, if you read that book, you can read that book ahead of time and then go talk to advisors and then vet the advisors based on if their philosophy aligns with that book. And if it does not, then that's the wrong advisor, right? That's a, that's a good way to do it. It's a short, easy read book. It's a good book. It's the, it's the basics. And it's one where like, literally like, so on my shelf, if I die, you know, Kelly knows to get an advisor that has that philosophy. Now you're going to see if you read, if you read that book and then read my book, that's my exact same philosophy. Uh, but every good advisor that I knows um, has a philosophy very similar to that book. Okay. Right, because I'm, I'm going to go one more step, because people confuse a financial advisor with like a hedge fund manager or, or a, um, you know, private equity person. They basically are looking for somebody to make them rich. And I'm like, that's actually not a financial advisor's job, right? Your, your job is to create a business, own a business, you know, figure out a way to increase your income and make yourself, you know, what you would call quote unquote wealthy through business ownership or whatever. Um, but if you're giving money to a financial advisor, we're more like helping you grow long-term money consistently and steadily over time versus just leaving it in a bank and not earning any interest. And so we are in between like, you know, a home run uh, business that you would build uh, and cash in the bank, you know? Um, right. And you, so, and you, you can almost use it interchangeably, interchangeably with financial planner. I'm more of a financial planner than I am a, you know, investment manager. Even though I invest money, I'm 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 more valuable as a financial planner. So what all does that entail? Because that is such a broad term. When people think of financial planner, you know, planner, advisor, all of those, they they tend to mean different things because so many people use them in different ways. A financial planner, sometimes I think of that as someone is going to help me, not just with my investments, but let's figure out your debt plan. Let's figure out, um, you know, how to overall increase your net worth. Let's figure out what you, you know, just a 
more holistic point of view. But when you say you're more of a financial planner than an investor, I guess what's the key thing? I mean, what did you say? A planner versus a uh, versus like a financial advisor. But 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 what I am saying is they 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 actually they actually are they actually are the same. So 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 every good advisor that I know actually does actually does that right. Um, and every every fiduciary that I know, you know, that's a fin- you know fiduciary, you know, with a wealth management company like me, they they do a holistic approach, right? So so um, even though people perceive me as an investment only guy, because you know we built the financial plan and talk about their goals, I'm implementing, you know, my my hours spent during daytime are implementing the investment strategy until we meet again to review their financial plan. Um, I'm actually more of their financial planner. All, all I'm doing is saying, hey, these are your goals. If you want to retire in 20 years and you need this amount of money, here's the portfolio mix that you need um, right now to reach that goal, which is one part of the plan. But we also would have talked about you need to have this amount of savings. You need to use some money to pay off your bills. Here's a plan for that. You need to make sure you have these insurances. I don't sell them, but here's a couple of good agents that I know. Um, I talked to, I'm, I'm meeting with a, for example, I'm meeting with a client next week. I'm meeting, um, at her, she owns a, um, business. We're meeting at her business with a commercial realtor because she wants to know what she should do with that property and how it impacts her financial plan. And I'm going to meet with her on that. So, uh, you know, good going back to, a, you know, picking a good fiduciary, a good financial advisor, y- you want to have one that's doing holistic planning and not just focusing on investing because that's the goal. Like my, my success for my clients is not whether I earn a 10% a year return or 7% a year return or 15% a year return. It's do I help you hit your goal? If you told me you want to, you know, retire by this age at this amount or educate your kids, am I doing everything possible uh, that I can do to help you get there? Oh, okay. Well, that makes perfect sense because like you said, one of the first questions to ask a financial um, advisor when you're interviewing one is get a feel for their philosophy. I think that's a great question because when the last meeting that I had with my advisor, we sat down with my husband and I, and we talked about our goals just for what we want to accomplish by the end of the year. And the conversation initially started with, let's start this investment portfolio, but we crafted a plan that accounted for some short-term goals that the advisor necessarily wasn't managing, but it related to what we were doing. So, and it, that would, I could imagine that's difficult to do if someone has a different philosophy that is just extremely different than how you operate in your life. If someone is more aggressive than you are, or if someone, you know, has a, I don't know, that, that budget live, you know, on popcorn and water mentality, or someone is to the extreme, just live your life. You know, I think that finding someone that is similar to how you think allows it to be an easier experience to where you're not bumping heads because if you don't have the same philosophy or if you think differently or if you feel like that person's ideas are crazy and they don't make any sense then it's hard to use that person in a holistic way and kind of get ideas and say okay well i'm trying to save for this business or i have a kid going to college in three years or i'm trying to get out of debt so what types of decisions should I make as it relates to what you as my advisor are doing? So 
that's a good point to ask that question. And even though you may not know what type of answer you're looking for, I think asking that question naturally will spark some ideas and allow you to know, okay, yes, so that sounded crazy. I know I don't want an advisor that thinks like that or yeah, I like that. That that's that yeah, I like him. I like how he thinks. So I may go with this person. So it's more than just a technical, you know, how many people have you advised and how long have you been doing this? I think that's a really important key is like how do you think? Because if there's no one governing you, you don't work for this huge firm, there's no necessary blueprint. You're really going off of your education and your personal philosophy, then it's very important for me to understand your personal philosophy because you're going to be influencing my decision based on how you personally think. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, you summed it up that way because this, um, this is why I asked you to be on the podcast because you're able to make, you know, organize things clearly. It's kind of like when you go to your pastor, right? It's kind of like, or not your pastor, when you're, trying to, when you're trying to pick a church to go to, you don't really know what you're looking for, but you know, you know what's not a fit. Right, you hear him preach a couple of times and you're like, all right, look, cool, but this is probably not for us. And that's similar to finding a financial advisor. So so yeah, you you hit it on the nail. You'll 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 pick it up just like you can pick up what past what church you need to join. You'll pick up which advisor fits with what is important to you and your family. Right, right, right. So so we've gotten to okay, here are the different types of advisor. I understand that as a new as a new person shopping for an advisor and we've understood okay now if you want to choose that kind um here's how you compare them understand their philosophy got it so now i'm at the point where i choose this advisor what should i expect doing this process should i be checking my portfolio every day am i going to you know get some money next year um, should, you know, what, what, what should I expect? Are we going to be sitting down having coffee every other week? Like, so, so what does the process look now that I've, okay, yeah, I'm good to go. Yeah, no. So, so great. So, so the, the first thing I would do is I would, I would start it like you start every relationship, you know, with asking their expectation and asking your expectation. So for example, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. So if you say, if you say, hey, look, I know we're just starting out the relationship and you may not you may not do this often, but is it okay if maybe for the first six months that we schedule a phone call? You know, so we're, you're, you're going to start with building a financial plan with every financial advisor you work with or you, you should. That should be the first step. But once you start the financial plan, you choose and you start the, you build the financial plan, you implement it by getting the investments set up in the right way for the financial plan. And so now we're talking about the follow-up service. You may say something like, hey, can we, can we just talk on the phone, you know, once a month to just help me understand the process? We don't got to do it every month beyond that, but for the first three, four months, can we do that? And then go to talking, you know, two times a year or three times a year or whatever standard, you know, for, for the advisor. But I would communicate what you want first. And, and you, may not, you may not want that. You may say, look, I only want to talk once a year. But the advisor will have their minimum so like i want my if a client told me i don't want to talk once a year i'd be like i'm probably not the advisor for you or if they said uh, i only want to talk once a year i'm gonna also say that's that's not we gotta at least talk twice a year right that's kind of my minimum but i'm also open to, to talk more so you you have your minimum they'll have their minimum and then you'll build the relationship there um so that that's the first thing that that, that i would that i would do 
if that answers your question. Yeah, yes, it does. It does. So, but does, I think most people want to know how long is it before I'm rich? How do you gauge How do you gauge that? Yeah. So, so gr a, gr a great analogy, right? So, um, my uncle, or so, my family owns Texas and, and, and owns um, property in Willis, Texas, right? And they got a bunch of apple trees. And so I was like, you know what? I want an apple tree. How long does it take to plant to, for an apple tree to grow, to grow apples, right? And the, the, the math is like six to eight years to, from once you plant it to when, to when it grows trees, right? And, and I, I use that analogy because everybody wants to get rich. And I'm like, cool. But, you know, if you want to get rich or quote unquote have an apple tree, it's just going to take time. There, you cannot shortcut the process. You can't force the apple tree to grow apples before. And you can't build wealth without a lot of time and a lot of money. And so um, anybody who hires an advisor and expects the advisor to quote unquote, make them rich in 12 months is crazy unless they're already rich, right? If you give me a million, they're like, yeah, I mean, you know, you can have a million in a year because I can just put it in cash and make sure it's still there, you know, but that's why the financial plan is important because of building the financial plan first basically will um, have the advisor and the client meet and say, all right, what is your goal? You want to have 7,000 a month at some point in the future, which makes you financially independent. You need to have um, $2 million, right? You have, and then it'll show you, you have a hundred thousand right now. How much are you able to invest every single month? And then you'll say, whatever you say. And then, and then the advisor will figure out, all right, how, you know, how, how much up and down movement can you stomach in the stock market, you know, throughout the years? And, and, and maybe you're moderate, right? Um, so that means so that means your return target, you know, might be uh, lower than somebody who's aggressive. And so you put all the information in there and the advisor is able to tell you, hey, we'll have 2 million by 15 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. And then if you say, oh, I don't like that, and you say, okay, it's a couple of areas we can change. You can reduce the amount of money that you want to live on. You could um, save more money or you can be more aggressive. But those are, you know, then the, the advisor is building the plan with you to adjust the variables to something you like. And, but, but, they can't, but we can't turn water into wine. And so- you know, we can't force a, a, a high return in the short term to make up for you wanting to retire earlier, you not needing to save a lot of money. And I think that's, that's why every uh, relationship that I start starts with a financial plan. So we're clear. I'm very clear on, hey, here, here's the plan. If in, and, and by the way, 12 when you're investing money, if the advisor makes a lot of money in the first year or loses money in the first year, the short term is random because the advisor can't control the stock market. Right. For me, right. For me and other advisors that I admire and respect, we're, we're long-term. And long-term doesn't mean 30 years, but long-term means you can build a portfolio and have a decent um, high, you know, high degree of confidence that the portfolio will earn something in the target over a 10 year period of time. Anything less than 10 years is tough to put projections around that. So, so I'm more saying, Hey, like you're giving me money, but anything less than 10 years, like you just have to understand that it's, it's, it's noise, you know, because, because over a 10 year period of time, stocks basically follow uh, earnings, right? Meaning, if the earnings of a company or the money the company makes grows at 10% a year and you look back um, 
you know, at the return of that year. So, so for example, if we went to math and we, and I, and I went nerd on you and I said, and I said, okay, Terry, let's look at the McDonald's stock from 2000 to 2010 McDonald's, uh, you know, earnings or the money they made grew by 10% a year. And then we look at the stock price over that period of time, the stock price probably grew about 10% a year, right? Because over the long term, it flushes out the noise. But in the short term, the reason why stocks are moving up and down is they're trying to guess what, what that number is going to be uh, over the future. And so, you know, if, if trade policy does something that the market thinks is going to impact earnings negatively, it's going to adjust downward. If it does something that it makes think is going to, you know, make things better, it's going to go up. But in the short term, it's just random noise that people are guessing. But over the long term, the number, the numbers are the numbers. So as an advisor, I'm, I'm doing it basically saying, hey, if I get the portfolio built right, and um, and I have and I own stocks that on average are, are going to hit my earnings growth target. You know, some won't, some will, but on average, I should over a ten-year period of time, and that's what I'm doing. So that's why I'm, I'm always like, hey, short term, don't expect anything, you know. But you got to stick with it long term, which which stresses some people out, right? They're like, they're like, but man, I, so so you're telling me I won't know, I won't know if um if I pick the wrong advisor for ten years, right? Some people might yeah. say, and, and and I'm like, I'm like, well, as far as if you pick if you're picking me for a return promise then don't pick me because I never promised you a return, right? All I'm doing is, all I'm saying is, I'm gonna build you a financial plan and I'm gonna allocate your money in a way that's gonna give you a high probability of hitting that target, right? And we can walk through the science of how I do that, um, but I'm, I'm, the market's gonna do what the market's gonna do. You know what I mean? Me, and, and I'll go a little deeper, Meaning if you own bonds, if, if stocks over the long term have earned more than bonds historically, and you own mostly bonds, I can pretty much tell you with a high degree of certainty that you're not going to hit your goal. Right. But if you, but right. if you, own, but if you own more stocks, that increases your chances. So then when we get in stocks, what I also know is stocks that are expensive um, are going to very likely have a lower return than stocks that are not expensive over the next 10 years. So if we want to increase the return, we need to add stocks that are more inexpensive, right? And then somebody say, well, how do you know they're expensive? Then we can get into a deeper nerd level of, you know, price to earnings ratios and all that stuff. Exactly. But that, so, that's, I think, yeah. so I would imagine a newer person, they will probably, or someone that's choosing an advisor that they're new and, and they're new to investing, if they really want to get down to the nitty gritty to, at least understand that you can help my money grow. It's not necessarily about, are you just this investing portfolio genius? It's more so about, listen, understand the science of how investing works, the realistic amount of time it takes for something to grow based on the philosophy and the strategies that I use, which aren't just things that you as the advisor came up with out of thin air, it's more so historically, this is how stocks, bonds, and things perform. And right. based on historical value, research, knowledge, and years and years of, you know, my experience on top of that, this is what you can realistically expect. So it's not just, it just, it just takes a long time for everybody, basically. If you look at the data, the data supports that 
about, you know, be ready to just wait for 10 years to see some real growth. This is not the same as, this is long-term. This is not the same as let's do some day trading and make some quick money. So I think to maybe just establishing that, like, why are we here? This is for long-term and that's just the way it works. So the only way you can back up your philosophy is with the history and the data of how things have worked for the last few decades. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And the cool part is, the cool part is, and I'm and I'm glad you explained it that way, is if you really want to go nerd and you really want to find out, then the right advisor should have that data. Like anytime a client wants to say, well, Philip, you said that, show me. I can literally pull out something to show them, hey, this is, this is why I say this, this is why I say stocks should earn more than bonds. Like here's the math, here's the historic math behind it. Here's why overpriced stocks, um, uh, I say earn less than underpriced stocks over 10 years. Here's the math behind it. Like every point that I invest in, and it has no, has no gut behind it. It's, it's straight math. Right. And, and so, um, so the advisor that you work with should be able to go there. Uh, with you if you want to I don't have too many clients who who want to go there with me but I can you know because I'm not I'm not making up stuff this is based on like you know like data real data and math right right that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense so that that's because I'm a visual person and mm -hmm. if you give me a chart and some examples a, a data set or something like that, then that would hit home with me. And it'll, it'll sit me down if I'm like, well, that sounds like it takes too long, you know, but when you don't have any, that's the myth that you're, I imagine you're trying to fight with a lot of people is how long the excitement of investing. It's a very exciting topic, depending on who you're serving. You know, I think that it's almost like with any business model, when you're serving, uh, a demographic that is financially savvy already, then a lot of those mental barriers have already happened. Uh, they've, they've already been knocked down before they even get to you. But when it's someone that's brand new, I think the way the media puts it, you just expect that things are going to grow really quickly or exponentially. And right. it feels a little uncomfortable to say, well, no, just get used to that. Just get used to the fact that this is going to take a little bit longer. But once you explain yeah. it, you know, yeah, and, and, and it's, and it's a lot like, it's a lot like business, right? Everybody thinks being a business owner is sexy. You know, they, they look at, they look at the business owner 15, 20 years in, you know, with the nice house and the, you know, modest, you know, modest car and some money and being able to do things, but they, but they don't look at the five years of, like making zero money, then the next five years of making right. a little bit of money, but reinvesting it all and constantly being stressed. And then the next five years of having to blow up the first 10 year plan to, to get bigger. And yes. just, you know, the, the 90%, the 90% of stress to get the 10% of owning your own business, they look at it and they think, no, like I can, I can quit my job today and I'm going to be super happy as a business owner in three months. No, 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 no. Like no. there's a lot of pain involved. And that's the same thing with investing. Yes. And it's not for the week. You have to, you can't quit and take your money out as soon as there's a dip. Just like with the business, you have to keep going. If you see your portfolio take a dip. I remember the first um, 
stock I bought around 20 or 21 was, it was one of those online, maybe E-Trade or something like that. But I, I'm in IT and I worked with a lot of geeks basically. So as a group in my little role in cubicle, I kept hearing them talking about this, this stock that we're buying called Zigzi at the time. This was maybe, maybe 13 years ago or something like that. And so like, I'm, I'm going to buy in too. So I had an extra thousand dollars and it was myself and, and five other guys, you know, geek guys. And I just, bought, I didn't, I had no clue what I was doing, but I, if they're smart enough to do it, I, you know, then I'll do it. And I invested in that and I let it sit. And in three days, that money, it maybe, maybe not three days, but a, less than a month, it tripled. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, like it really went up and, you know, then it was almost like, it was almost like the lottery. Like everybody was, okay, let me buy this stock. Like y'all are winning. Um, And then I said, well, I'm going to, I I took mine out. I was like, oh shoot, this, this, this money, you know, it grew. Let me take it out before it goes somewhere. So I took it out and I was mad because it kept going up and the people that had invested more, they were making more money. So I put the money back in and how the stock market works. It dipped again. You know, this is probably over like a few months at this time. So I put it back in. I was like, man, I should have taken it out. So I put it back in. Still had no idea what I was doing. I put it back in. Sure enough, it dipped. And, but I left it there. I said, you know what? I'm just going to leave it there and forget about it. And that was back in I don't, um, 2000 and maybe five or seven or six, something like that. And I put the money back in there and I said, I'm not going to get scared or I'm not going to get too excited because I missed out. So I let it sit there for a really long time. I, fr- I completely forgot about it. I com- And when I went back to check it, I'm talking six, seven years later, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I bought that Zigzi <laughs> stock long time ago. Where is it at? And it had a nice gain. And I was so upset because I, I looked at the trajectory. You know how you can log in and you can see those charts, like mm-hmm. how it went up and went down. I had made a lot of money, but because I had forgot about it, there was the highest point I had where it had peaked. I missed it. Mm-hmm. And I know that's different than long term, what you're talking about. But because I had forgot about it and I was able to see that chart of how it went up and down, up and down, up and down. It, it just made me hit home. It it made it hit home that these things fluctuate. Mm -hmm. Like it really fluctuate and you cannot get, you have to stick to the plan, stick to the plan. Don't get too excited when it goes up. Don't get too depressed when it goes down, stick to the plan because just, just let yourself get all the way to the end. And that is what that experience taught me because I imagine I probably would have taken it out or I probably would have taken, you know, when it dipped and it's, it, it, it ended up going back up. And so that's the philosophy that I have with my long-term investments is one, it's probably better, you know, you kind of want to peek in there, but you don't. It's almost like mm-hmm. when you first start managing your credit, mm-hmm. after, when you're trying to raise your credit, you after it being you know bad and you're trying to raise it you will check it all the time all the time (laughs) and then you're like and at a point you're like let me turn these notifications off because every time it dips i get scared and i'm freaking Uh out so 
that's how I, that's really, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's not for the, the week. That's, that's my personal philosophy. Like, let me just let kind of keep an eye on it for me because I will be sweating bullets every time something happens in this thing. <laughs> you, you hit it on the end. And that's, that's a good way to end it. The, the best way to end it is, you know, if you find an advisor that is a fiduciary, has a philosophy that you like, that you like, you know, that they're planning focused and that they have science behind their investment portfolio. Um, they don't, the reason why they don't have to be the best is the stock market over time without an advisor does well. Like if you just bought, if you just bought like, you know, S and P 500 or the ACWI, which is like mutual funds that just track the U S and then the global market index. And you just held those over the long term. you know, you're very likely going to get seven to 10% a year uh, without an advisor which is, which is a great rate of return. So people are like, well, why don't I just do that? And I cut out the cost of advisor. I was like, because the advisor, because they know your plan, because you trust them, because you have the philosophy, it goes back to the same reason why you go to church every Sunday and hear the same thing over and over again. Like just sometimes life punches you and you need somebody to, you know, like talk to you and talk you through uh, those wounds. Or sometimes you get a little high on yourself, you know, in the investment world is greed. You know, people want to talk about, uh, they they may hear me talk about long term and then forget and say, hey, Philip, but what about cannabis stocks? You know, and I have to like, you know, veer them back, you know, to to uh, to normal. But that's what a good advisor does is is more like emotional support. You know, it's less about the brain and more about, hey, look, none of us are perfect. All of us go up and down. That messes us up financially. So let the advisor be that person that is keeping you middle of the fairway so at the very least you earn what the market gives you right right so you mean to tell me you don't you didn't jump on that bitcoin move <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate you thanks for um asking the questions oh no problem thanks All for right. having me i hope i asked good questions you, you, you definitely did you always do philip washington is a registered investment advisor this is meant to be for educational and informational purposes, not meant to be financial advice. You need to seek your own counsel before making any investment decisions. Investing involves risk, past performance, no indicator of future performance. And I, there is no um, desire indication to sell any securities during this podcast episode. Uh, Philip Washington, or me, I'm Chief Investment Officer of StonehillWealthManagement.com. Uh, feel free to, I'm also obviously hosted his podcast and author of Retirement Investing 101. If you'd like to get a copy of that book, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it free as, free as a downloadable PDF on my website, stonehillwealthmanagement.com. Enjoy your day.